Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at cclo.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. Amen. Good morning. Glad you guys are here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 1. I feel like I'm in a tin can right now. So I sound funny? Like outside of the normal, you know what I mean? Like I normally sound funny. Okay, I just want to make sure it's not just me. It's like, I don't know what that's a sign of. If you Google MD that, it means you're going to die, everything. You ever do that? You get a symptom, you Google it, and it's like, oh yeah, you're going to die soon. Okay, there it is. It was... All right, Revelation chapter 1. You're probably thinking, hold on, we've already done this. Uh, That is true, we have, but we're just going to read one verse before we jump into the last letter of the seven churches. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Revelation is one of the only books that has a divinely inspired outline included into the text. And, and after this Sunday, we're, we're moving in that outline, and that's why it's kind of key here. So verse uh, 19, write therefore, so these are the words written in red, so this is Jesus speaking to John, and he says, write therefore the things that you have seen, and that's pretty much chapter one and the vision that he has of Jesus and, and what is going on there in the throne room. So he's like, write down what you have seen, and then he says, and those that are, and that's to the seven churches, chapter two and three, and then everything after, chapters four and, and moving forward to the end of the book, and it says, and those that are to take place after this. And so after this morning, we are moving from the things that are to those that are going to take place. And that's key because the, the, all seven letters have been uh, useful, encouraging, and effective for us because they're not just letters to those specific churches, they're letters for us as well. And the same for this letter to Laodicea. And so if you turn a page there and you'll get to chapter three, verse 14. And we're studying this letter just like we would study any other letter written to a church. Honestly, the only difference is like the letters written to the church in Rome or Ephesus uh, or any of those that we could study that Paul wrote is they were written by Paul. The letters that we're studying here in Revelation were written by Jesus. These are the words in red that he gives to this church, not only in Laodicea, but he has this word for us this morning. And so through the seven, you know, there's been some pretty good ones. There's been a few that, you know, that that church needs to to get their act together. Just going to be honest with you, Laodicea is the worst of the seven. And, and again, we, what we never want to do is look at one of these churches and say, oh, that's not us or it never will be. That we are given this word from the Lord as well. And we need to hear this just as much as the church in Laodicea needed to. So no matter how hard, no matter how heavy, no matter how offended we get, we need this. And it's good for us to be offended unlike the world around us that doesn't want to be offended by anything, it's good. We need to be offended, but be offended by the word of God. Because if the word of God never offends us, it's either we're completely apathetic or we're perfect. And since none of us are perfect, 
We don't want to be apathetic. We need to be offended every once in a while. We need to be reading his word and we come across that. There should be things that as a mirror to our lives, the word reveals to us, hey, you're outside of the bounds of what normal faith, normal Christianity, not radical Christianity, just biblical Christianity. You're outside of those bounds and you need to realign your life and your heart to Jesus. And so we're gonna read this letter to Laodicea with that same eyes, those same ears. And so starting in verse 14, chapter three. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salved to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that's how we know that letter is even written to us this morning. That the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of God, speaking to us, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. And so this is, uh, you know, not the fun letter. Uh, if you remember, there was a college football player, a quarterback, in a, uh, a bowl game. He was a Christian, and he wrote John 3.16 underneath his eyes. Some of you guys might, not, might know who I am talking about. And they actually did the Google kind of analytics, and they saw how many people Googled that Bible verse because they didn't know what that, like John 3.16, what is that? Into such a great, encouraging verse. Like, could you imagine if it was Revelation 3.16? You know, you're neither hot nor cold, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Like, that's, like, that would be like, wow, this football player is pretty serious right here, you know. And, it, and it's one of those verses that, we, that are still written in red, that we need, and we need to have proper understanding of what is Jesus talking about, and are we at risk of being that lukewarm water that he wants to spit out. And so in verse 15, he says, would that you were either hot or cold. And, and one way that this has been taught pretty uh, consistently, and I, I would not agree with, and just hear me out, so before you throw anything at me, just let's have the conversation, right? Um, a lot of people will teach this to mean that you need to be hot, on fire for the Lord, or he wants you to be cold and completely apart from him. That he doesn't like this lukewarm in the middle, either be hot and you're all in it for Jesus, or just be running with the devil. See, I don't believe that to be true. And, and not just because I can say whatever I want. No, what does the word say? How does this match up to the character of God? 
Any time that we struggle with something, I always look at it through those two lenses. What does this say about the character of God and, and what else does God's word say? And when we look at the word of God holistically, I don't hear the Lord because he's saying, I would either you hot or cold. I've never, I can't find any other verse where the Lord would look at the church because this is a letter written to a church and say, yeah, I really don't want you on fire for me. I would rather you just walk away and be cold and separated from me. No, the word of God says that he desires all to come to repentance, that he wants all to be in a relationship with him, that there's, there's no other context in which God is wanting his people to be away from him. The heart of our father is that he would want us as his children to be close with him. And so what else could be going on here? How else is Jesus what could he mean by this? And again, this is where we're gonna have the fork in the road and different ways that you can interpret it. And, and again, we're gonna allow scripture to interpret scripture and, and looking at the character of God. Because what I don't see is that Jesus means for us to be cold and separated from him. Why would he wish that? It doesn't fit. And so instead, think of a hot or a cold drink. It's comforting and it's refreshing in its context, Right? So it's been hotter than, or at least a, a close second, you know, to that place. And when I've like literally just like walked out to check the mail and come back in and I'm like drenched in sweat, not because I'm out of shape, even though that might be a part of it, it's just that hot. I come in and, and you know what I don't want when I walk back into the house? Like, oh, I need some hot cocoa right now. Like nobody says that. Like you're outside mowing and you feel like you're gonna die. You're praying like, Lord, take me now before I have to finish this, right? You don't get done and you walk in and be like, hot coffee, please. Like nobody wants that. No, you want something that's different. You want something that, that's distinct from what you've been experiencing. It's hot outside, so you want an ice cold, something Gatorade, water, fill in the blank. Or because we live in misery, I mean Missouri, sorry. <laughs> Closely, closely linked there, same root word in the Greek. Um, thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> it snows, and I firmly believe for us to live in a culture where it snows is against God's created order, right? <laughs> Absolutely, it's biblical. Read Genesis. They were naked in the garden and they walked with the Lord and they were not freezing. You cannot walk outside in January naked. No. <laughs> So we are all against the desire of the Lord, right? Because it snows here, and I firmly believe snow is of the devil. I do not like winter, but this, amen, thank you. See, there's another herald of righteousness among us. But this is where the Lord has called me, and so we deal with snow. And I have to go outside, and I have to shovel snow. And then you do that, and it snows again. Then you go out and do the exact same thing over and again. It's insanity, doing the same thing, expecting different results. And that is just a work that the Lord is doing in my heart. Like when I'm lacking patience and grace and mercy and my anger is going, you know how the Lord works with me? Yeah, as I'm shoveling snow. Like what's the real issue going on? But when I come in and my whole body is frozen and I have frostbite, you know, you know what I don't want? is something freezing cold. Like I don't want to go to Dairy Queen and get a blizzard. Like, no, I live in a blizzard. I don't want that. I want a hot coffee. I want something distinct from what is around me. And I think that's the word that Jesus is saying for this church in Laodicea. And I think that's the word that Jesus has for us. He goes, I would rather you hot or cold. 
but I don't want you lukewarm. I don't want the context in the world in which you live to cause you, if you were a, a hot drink, to cause you to become lukewarm, right? Like, have you ever made a cup of coffee and you get distracted and doing something you come back to and it's lukewarm? It should be sinful to drink coffee that way. And I know there's a couple sinners out there. You put ice in your coffee to cool it down so you can drink it faster. Like, repent, walk with the Lord, drink hot coffee, okay? Or if it's, you know, you have that nice iced tea and you come back and it's lukewarm. Like, nobody wants that. I think that's the picture that Jesus has for us as his church, that he doesn't want the world in its context, its value system, the things that the world holds as important. He doesn't want those to cause us to lose the distinct temperature that he wants to see in us. See, that hot or cold drink is desirable because of its sharp contrast. But if that hot or cold drink, if it's left alone in that environment around it, with nothing else being added to it, it will slowly acclimate to the temperature around it. You can go home and have a little science experiment. Make a cup of coffee, make a ice water, and just leave it on the table and come back in an hour. They're going to be the same temp, room temperature. Jesus does not want to see his church. He doesn't want to see us as followers and apprentices of Jesus of himself as room temperature Christians where we can't tell the difference between our value system and the world, where we can't tell the difference between what we hold to to be near and dear, what is important and core to our faith to be the same as what the world holds to be the same, that he wants to see a distinctiveness from us because, again, if nothing is being added to the hot and the cold, it will become lukewarm. It's the danger for Laodicea, and it's the danger for us today at Calvary Chapel, Lake of the Ozarks. We are in the same situation where so many churches are allowing the world to change the temperature that are acclimating to the world, where we should be a light in darkness, that we should be changing the temperature of the world, but we allow the world to change us and may it never be, and so that is the danger for us. And so, I love this quote, if the church is not distinct from the world around it, it will lose anything unique to say to the world. So what does it mean to be hot or cold in our world, right? So just look at the world. There's times that the world grows cold in love, care, and concern for other humans. The world absolutely is cold in those things. That's when the church should be that fiery warmth to those that have, they're enduring almost the frostbite of the world. How many people, without a relationship with Christ, that are operating off of a world system, do not understand the warmth of love and care and generosity? They will never experience it in the world because the world has gone cold in its love. That's when the church needs to be on fire. That's when we need to bring heat and warmth to the world around us. And then in the opposite, sometimes the world will be absolutely fired up in its anger, in its wrath of one another, in its dissatisfaction for whatever it is. And there's nothing more that the news loves to do than to try to fire us up as well. 
We don't need to be the same temperature as the world. Again, we need to be distinct. So when the world is on fire and anger and hate for one another, what should we as the church be? A cooling presence of peace and gentleness and unity. But again, if we keep walking in the ways of the world and we're cold when the world needs love or if we're hot in our anger when the world's already fired up, we lose that distinctiveness And if anything, the church becomes the leading, the culture of the world around us. That is not what Jesus wants to see in us. He wants to see something different. It's literally what it means to be set apart, to be holy. It's gonna be different. Be okay with that, that we're gonna be different from the world. It's the greatest thing. You know, think of the Titanic when all those people were in that water. They didn't want more people to be in there with them. They wanted somebody to pull them out of it. We as the church, as followers of Jesus, those of us that are apprenticing Jesus, we do not need to become like the world in a sense to try to think that the the validity of our message will be higher. No, we need to be distinct from the world. I mean, think of the world's definition of love right now. What do we gain to try to operate off of that hookup culture of our world? Not even going into all the other areas. Let's just pick on that one. That there is real people that are absolutely using their bodies for lust, but they've never experienced true love. We know you can live without sex, but you can't live without love. And the world is trying to operate it, the absolute difference, that they're using sex to try to find love. You don't find love that way, you find love in Christ. And so how can we as the church operate in the same world system, lower the temperature of who we are to fit the world and think that our message then is gonna be distinct from it? It's kind of what we've been talking about in the last few weeks. Our orthodoxy, our good doctrine, our right thinking is needed, absolutely. But so is our orthopraxy. How we live our life, it's almost in a way that it it validates the message in which we believe and the message that we are called to share to one another. That that the world and its system should be looking at us as the church, those following Jesus, And either they're gonna hear us and then see our lives because of it or they're gonna see our lives and then follow back to Christ. Either one, they're gonna lead back to Jesus. But how uniquely disappointing is it when the world sees us as Christians trying to follow Jesus and we live to the world system that the way that we live does not validate the message of Christ but if anything, attacks it. And so then we insulate the world around us from the love, the grace, the mercy, and the truth of Jesus. And understand, it's a slow fade. That's how room temperature works. It's, we hear no word of persecution and trial. We hear nothing. It's saying that you guys are just lukewarm. That we know it's gonna be this slow fade, one, one degree at a time. It's gonna be so subtle that you don't see the changes until all of a sudden you come back and you get super distracted and you come back to your hot cup of coffee and what do you find? Lukewarm coffee. Or you have that really nice iced 
tea that you got a little bit distracted finishing up some of the chores and you come back and it's lukewarm and watered down. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves: what are we becoming lukewarm to? Every one of us has that. There's some area in our life that we're allowing either our fire to be quenched or it's slowly bringing up the temp of when we need to be cold and we need to be that cooling presence that every one of us has an area of our life that we're becoming lukewarm to, that we're, we're losing our distinctiveness from the world around us. The issue here, it's a whole church. And Jesus says, hey, we gotta talk about something. Because of your lukewarmness and like what's, what's Jesus' response to this church? He's like, you're becoming the world around you. Like you're called to be holy, you're called to be set apart, you're called to be distinct from the world, but you're just like it. And he's not angry that the world is living separated and apart from him. He's, he's a little frustrated that the church is living so much more like the world than like him. It kind of, it, it makes the term Christian to be an oxymoron. You know, that was actually a derogatory term that people used in the early church, like the outsiders. That was a persecution word. Oh, you're just a bunch of little Christs running around. It's the greatest thing somebody could say about us. Oh, look at that, a bunch of little Jesuses there over there at Calvary Chapel, really feeling like they're gonna, you know, impact the world for the gospel. That's the greatest thing somebody could say about us. And we, and we took the insults and we made it our anthem. Yes, call us Christians. But how much of an oxymoron is it to call ourselves Christians but not to live as followers of Jesus? And so what is Jesus' response? Well, Revelation 3.16. Write that underneath your eyes the next time you're at a sports event. <laughs> In the original Greek, it says it like this. I am about to spit you out. And that word spit, it, it doesn't even do it justice. It really means to vomit. That he's so repulsed, showing utter rejection. That we're, we're on the edge. We're, we've pretty much arrived to the point where I'm about to spit you. I'm about to vomit. Right? Some of us have had moments like that, either like really bad food poisoning or, you know, you smelled something horrible and it just brings you right to the edge like I'm about to vomit. You know, like our kids get car sick a little bit. That was something we had to learn here at the lake. You know, up in our hometown, all the roads were straight. We weren't trying to go around a crazy lake. So it's like, all right, everybody get in the roller coaster, called the, you know, family van, and like just go into Walmart. We had to feed our kids peppermints to try to calm their stomach. And our girls are back there, I'm like, I'm about to, I'm about to blow. And it's like, no. It's like, we always kept like bags in there. And it's like, and it, that's just to go to Walmart. <laughs> like, this is not, Walmart is not worth all this, right? But you could just see it in there. You go pale, they're about to like, there's this, their body is rejecting, is, is utterly repulsed by what is going on. And that's the response of Jesus, not to the world. Understand who Jesus is repulsed by. It's us who have become lukewarm. We've lost our fire, and we've lost that cooling presence that we are called to be in the world. And so those in Laodicea, here's the other issue. They're running around. They're undisciplined. They're naked. They're blind. And we see in verse 17, they have a gross misunderstanding of their spiritual condition. 
He says, for you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. Doesn't that sound like the American church? Right? Like, we're okay bearing each other's burdens. We're okay for stepping into other, you know, to help fill needs as long as they're not my needs. Right? We have that mentality that I, I need nothing. I, I can't show that weakness that I don't have my life together. You know, I definitely can't show that it might even be in, in the sense of a physical need whatsoever. We feel like failures. Understand that that's pride. And your ego is taking over. And, but how many times do we walk into the church and we look at each other? We don't say it. Oh, I don't need anything. I'm good. Or, or we hear like, oh, somebody's moving or this is going on or somebody's about to whatever. And it's like, hey, could we, could we help in any way? No, 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 we're good. I, I don't need anything. When really deep down you're just wondering how, how is this even going to happen? What can I do? And we feel at a loss. See, the issue with Laodicea is, is it's not only the condition that they're in, but they were blind to their own condition. You know, as a pediatric nurse for seven so years, there were a few times that we would have a kid come in that was super sick. Like, nobody else is going to get seen for a couple hours sick. I'm calling the ambulance type of sick. And there's also been a couple times that the parent had no idea how sick their kid really was. You know, every alarm in my nursing training is just going off. And you got to remain calm because you can't, like, freak out a mom. That's the worst thing that you could do, right? And it's like, well, this is a little more concerning than uh, maybe what you made it to be on the phone. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, your kid could crash at any time right now. And we have very little to step into this situation. See, that's what makes this so much more dangerous. It's not just their spiritual condition, but how blind they are to it. And how many times do we, as followers of Jesus, oh yeah, that's not me. I mean, that might be somebody else, but that's not me. I don't, I don't, I don't struggle with that. I don't deal with that. I'm good. Me and Jesus, we're, we're tight. Everything's fine in my life. How many times do we come blind to our own spiritual condition that we think we've arrived. We have to continually remind ourselves of the gospel. Before we could ever preach it out, we need to be preaching it to ourselves. We need to anchor our lives in Christ. But the gospel also reminds us that I don't have it together, that we are all, pastor included, smack dab in the middle of our own sanctification. That there's not one of us that can say, oh yeah, I'm rich. I've prospered, I need nothing. That actually shows how poor we really are if we have that kind of mentality. Because that's what Jesus goes on to say. You're saying that, but you're not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You know, when you were 18 months old and you're running around the house naked, it's cute. 38, not so much, <laughs> not so much, right? Ain't nobody wanna see that. But that's how we are as the church. We're just running around, undisciplined, blind, naked, and we think everything's fine. You ever have that dream, right? Like you end up going to school. It happens to me all the time. I feel like I'm going to church naked. That is a nightmare, right? <laughs> and none of you sinners in my dream tell me like, hey, pastor, <laughs> you know, you, you just sit there and just act like it's a normal day. <laughs> but how many times do we do that in our real life? I can't point out sin in somebody else. I can't point out the struggle. I, I don't know if I really want to step into that. You know, not my circus, not my monkeys. 
because we know the moment we step into somebody's life, what we're opening is the invitation to step into ours. I mean, that's the point of life groups. Not that we're gonna pull everyone up here and you gotta confess all of your sins to everyone, but confession is good and biblical. And one of my friends says it this way, confession, uh, good for the soul, bad for the reputation. Because when we do that, then what people will see is, yeah, when I said, oh yeah, I don't need anything, I was lying. And the very thing that God was using in my life, the body of Christ, I'm rejecting. See, we need to look at our lives and see the true reality in which we're walking and we're living. That's the greatest thing that could happen when we're in a spiritual condition like this is to realize I'm not where I need to be. At some point, that prodigal son woke up. All right, I'm done eating with the pigs and the slop, knowing that I have a place with the father. Like, and he tried to come up with his own, like, all right, I'll work for him and do all that. He just needed to run home. But at some point, he had to come to the realization, this is not where I'm supposed to be. I've wandered. I've gone astray. And again, every one of us, we're prone to wander, prone to leave the God that we love. And so coming to the realization and understanding how wretched and poor and blind we really are, that's a work of the Spirit. How many of us walk around acting like, or at least believing, oh, I'm really not that bad, when in reality, it's horrible. You're almost on life support, like trying to convince a parent how sick their kid really is. And he says, so I counsel you, to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may be able to see. See, even in this crazy situation of a church and that their spiritual thermometer is broken, just completely blind to their own spiritual condi- condition, completely undisciplined, naked and blind, there's counsel from Jesus. You know what he doesn't say to Laodicea? Fine, have it your way. If you don't want anything to do with me, I don't want anything to do with you. No, even in their running away, walking in their ignorance and and misunderstanding of who they really are, here's Jesus saying, "I I got some counsel for you. If we would lack wisdom, James tells us to seek wisdom and he'll give generously, seek wisdom from him. Some of the greatest wisdom that we can get from God is a proper understanding of who we really are. Not, oh, am I supposed to take this job or not? Am I supposed to marry that girl? No, no, no. Lord, search my heart and know me and reveal to me my true spiritual condition. Help me understand. And then, again, even in the worst of the churches, what do we get? Grace and mercy. So don't believe the lie that any one of us can be too far gone past grace. That if, if here is Jesus saying, yeah, this is your spiritual condition, completely undisciplined, but there is hope. Meaning, let's, let's get some spiritual disciplines in your life. Hence the whole 21 days top initiative and focus for us in this year. 
That these disciplines, not just to live and lead a disciplined life, but those disciplines are to bring about a fruitful and effective life for us, for Jesus. And so we hear this like, okay, so what's the gold? What's the white garments? What's the, the ointment here? I think it's not much in the actual object, but the action words with them. That you need gold refined by fire. Like some of us are just super raw in our Christianity, that we've wandered so far away that we've quit the refining process. We've quit allowing God to to heat up and to stir up our lives and allow the impurities to rise as a goldsmith or a silversmith would do. Yeah, you need to be refined. You need some of these impurities to either be burned off or scraped off from your life. You need to be clothed in white garments, which again, like white, not my color. You can ask my wife, all I own is blue, gray, and black. Amen, right? But we understand the idea that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That it's not just an understanding of his grace and his mercy, but it's us walking out in real, everyday aspects of our life, righteousness and holiness and purity. And then this eye ointment. So there's a couple things that kind of make this letter fun if you want to study the historical context. You know, for them to call them lukewarm, they're definitely hitting them at the hearts because they didn't have a great water source. And so they built these massive aqueducts to try to get these hot springs water to come in to Laodicea. But the one part that they kind of maybe missed was by the time the water left that hot spring and made it into the city, it had grown cold. It had grown lukewarm. It had lost its heat. And then he tells him, yeah, you need some eye ointment. Laodicea was pretty much in the known world, world famous for this eye ointment. Yeah, the very thing that you're producing and shipping to the world, I'm gonna use as an analogy. Yeah, you're blind and you need that very thing. So when Jesus would have said this, when they would have read this letter, here they are in Laodicea, like, oh, we got this crazy new letter from John. He was on Patmos you know, like I've read a few parts of it. Here's this part in Laodicea. Yeah, he's hitting home. They would have had absolute cultural contact of what this was meaning. They have gone blind and they've lost their spiritual sight. And so they need to be refined. They need to be covered and they need their healing to their spiritual sight. Again, the greatest thing is to have a proper understanding of God and a proper understanding of who we are and our need for him. And that's the thing. So many people struggle with the love of Jesus. Those on the outside of the church, and there's a lot of reasons for it. And I think even us, we struggle with the love of Jesus. That we have allowed the world to either heat up or cool down and make us the same temperature as the world itself, and we struggle with the love of Jesus because what we want is that warm, ooey-gooey, you know, warm apple pie, comfort-feeling kind of love. We want to feel it, and, you know, if the worship's not perfect, if the pastor's not perfect, if my life's not perfect, then, then we question the goodness and the grace of God, and we wonder, does God really love me? But here, verse 19 tells us, those whom I love, so Jesus is saying, all right, those whom I love, you want to know what it looks like? I reprove and discipline them. That if you want more of the love of Christ in your life, understand that's going to come by the way of discipline. And that's as good parenting 101. Like if you don't love your kids, give them everything that they want 
And I will stand by that any day of the week. It is good. Spare the rod, spare the child. What's, what's David say? We love Psalm 23. Thy rod and thy staff comfort. Testimony of me and my wife. Becoming parents was really, really hard at times because there was times when we needed a parent, not a best friend. We needed a parent. We needed an adult to stand in the gap of our lives and say, no, you're not doing that. And no matter how much you're gonna hate me for this small season, I'm not just gonna let you have whatever you want, that the love of a good parent is gonna be seen through discipline, and the same is for Jesus. The love of Jesus is gonna be seen through discipline, through admonishing, through reprimanding us. And think about it, when's the last time we've asked for that? Jesus, I feel like I'm growing cold to your love. Jesus, I feel like I'm, I'm getting really hot and angered with the things of this world. Would you discipline me more so I can know and understand your love for me? That's a dangerous prayer. But that's a biblical prayer. To understand that the love of Jesus is seen through that discipline. The greatest thing that he could do for us is to cause us, to work in us, to live a disciplined, admonished life. He goes, that's what I want. Those whom I love, that's what I'm gonna do. So understand, when that discipline is hitting your life, that's the love of Jesus. And he tells us, so be zealous, which in similar Greek word goes back to the top, talking about being hot. So have a zeal and a passion about you and repent. See, a lot of times we struggle with the love of Jesus because we want that love and that grace but what we don't want to walk in is confession and repentance and obedience. And God's grace will never overshadow his desire for us to walk in righteousness and holiness and purity. He will never say, okay, I, I love you so much that I'll let you just keep walking into the very things that took me to the cross. No. He gives us grace and it's sufficient in our weaknesses. He loves us even when we're unlovable, even when we don't even understand love. He loves us and he will discipline us, but he will not allow his grace and his love and his mercy to be taken advantage of, to keep walking into sin. That is a misuse of his love. And for us to continue walking in sin, thinking that we have a, the love of God, put some ointment on your eyes and see the blindness that you're walking in. And so here, as we've been walking through the different uh, churches and the different cities in Philadelphia, we discussed open doors of ministry. A lot of, had some good conversations this last week. What's my open door ministry? What's that look like? But here in Laodicea, it's closed doors of fellowship. That this church had grown so distant, undisciplined, blind, naked that Jesus is just standing at the door. Probably wondering, what, what am I even doing on the outside? Isn't, isn't this the church? Isn't the church mine? And so you know, a lot of times we want to put in a salvation issue. I think it's more of a fellowship issue that Jesus is saying, I love you. And I'm going to stand at the door and knock we have to say yes to allow Jesus that step into our life for a closer fellowship. And that's a dangerous place to be. 
right? Think of, um, not Lord of the Rings, the other one, Chronicles of Narnia, right? They were friends. They were friends. Chronicles of Narnia, I think it was, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote that as a gift to his friend for leading him to the Lord. Tolkien brought Lewis to faith, and he wrote the Chronicles almost as a kind of an honorable gift to him. And if you remember the line in the book when he talks about the king, the lion, he says, oh, is he safe? Safe? What do you mean safe? No, it's a lion. Is he good? Oh, yeah, he's good. See, that closeness with Jesus, nobody ever said it was going to be safe. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more he's going to wreck your life. Amen. And he should. That's the beautiful paradox of Jesus. Think about it. Those that are comfortable, he loves to disrupt. And those that are disrupted, he loves to comfort. Find out which one you are. Because if I'm too comfortable in my life, I want Jesus to disrupt it. But when I'm in chaos and my life is disrupted, he's my comforter. That close fellowship with him is it safe? That's not the guarantee that we have. Is it good? Absolutely. And he wants that close fellowship with us. Sometimes we ask that question, you know, one of those like get to know you, you know, maybe even at the beginning of life groups, you know, we always have a get to know you question, kind of off the wall little things. If you could have dinner with anybody, who would it be? And of course, as good Christians, we all have to say, Jesus. None of us mean it because we know what that would mean. He's like. And then we, usually it's followed up by like a grandparent and I get that, like I would love to have one more conversation with my grandparent. But sharing a meal in this culture was like an outward, huge, a great expression of hospitality and love. And here you have the God of all creation who took on your sin and my sin, who went to a cross that we deserved died for us and gave us his righteousness because of our faith and our trust in him was the first fruit of a, so his resurrection is a first fruit to us, giving us hope, knowing that that's gonna be the same thing that we are gonna experience and right now is at the right hand of God. This same Jesus, I'd love to come in and sit down and have a meal with you. I'd love just to fellowship with you. Got a few things I'd like to talk about. You're running around naked again. Can't have that. You, you, you got a little something more than pink eye. That I, got, I got some stuff for that. You're being a little bit undisciplined. We need, some, we need some training and righteousness here. But the God of all creation, this great expression of hospitality and love, it's, understand, it's him pursuing us. When we pursue Christ, it's always in the outflow of him pursuing us. We're not running after Jesus like some middle school boy trying to get a hot date to the dance, right? Our pursuit of Christ is always an overflow of his pursuit of us. And so think like in Mark 2, the Pharisees really struggled with Jesus wanting to eat with sinners and tax collectors. And I can give you the theological reason for it. I'm just glad that he still wants to. That he doesn't look at me and say, you know what? Nah, I'll just grab a cheeseburger on the way home. No, but Jesus still walks up to the doors of my heart and mind that I have closed, 
that I don't want that close fellowship with. He's not beating on the door like cops, right? If you've ever been in a house when the cops are trying to break in, they really don't care if anybody's sleeping. They're going to wake everybody up. Is this going to be this nice? No. You know, that gentle whisper of God that we have to quiet our lives down. We have to have an intentionality to hear that. That we have to have a spiritual understanding of who we are so that we can hear, where's that area that Jesus is knocking in my heart? What's that part that I have closed to him? Some of us are too scared to be quiet and alone with the Lord because we're afraid of the door that he's knocking on. That's grace in your life. Open the door to Jesus. I'm afraid of what he might see. He wasn't afraid of what people might see when he went to the cross. He's not afraid of what he might see because he's the one that can refine. He's the one that can clothe. He's the one that can bring healing. I'm just glad he still wants to in this sinner and tax collector. So it's not about who we want to have dinner with. It's understanding that Jesus wants to dine with us. You know, when we talked about Sardis, the reward to those that conquered gets to walk with Jesus. And here, the one who conquered gets to eat with Jesus. It's like a perfect date night for my wife. You know, just go to a dinner and a nice walk by the lake. That's, that's her favorite thing, which I love because that's pretty cheap. So it, it fits within the budget. Just walk with me and talk with me. Isn't that an old hymn? He just wants to walk with us. And he just wants to talk with us. And at the very end it says, and sit with me on my throne. If you turn to Ephesians, there's kind of a cool verse here. So we hear Jesus telling this church in Laodicea, we hear Jesus telling this church, Calvary Chapel, that if we conquer through this and understand where we're, you know, where we need to be hot, where we need to be cold, where we need to fire up or cool down this lukewarmness in us, if we conquer, we'll get to eat with Jesus and then we will sit with him on his throne. That's not the only place that this is ever referenced. So Ephesians chapter one, I'm gonna start in like verse 19, we're jumping mid-thought. And he's talking about God's power toward us who believe, put our trust, and according to the working of his great might, so that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So when Christ rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, he was seated at the right hand of God. Makes sense. Even right now as we speak, where is Jesus? At the right hand of God, sitting on his throne. That's what Jesus tells us there in Revelation. But if you skip down a few verses, so you get into two, right? But God, verse four, we love that, being rich in mercy with great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ and by grace you have been saved and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because of our faith and our trust in Jesus, not just for salvation but for sanctification, for the areas of our life that we need to keep on fire, for the areas of our life that we need to be a cooling presence. If we conquer in this, we get to, see, get to sit with him. 
Now, I, I have four kids, and the youngest is now eight. There's only a couple of them that still like to sit with me on my chair. It's been a while since I've held my 17-year-old son, right? <laughs> he doesn't usually come home from work and just be like, all right, Dad, hold me. Used to be. Not so much anymore. But even, I mean, think of us that have adult kids. What do you want? Just come home. Sit around the table with me. Just sit with me. Share a meal. Just sit with me and let's talk. I want to hear what's going on in your life. I still want to have a voice of a little bit of wisdom and influence into your life. I want to help guide and lead you. It's not a foreign concept. The crazy part, this is the God of all creation. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. Just come, let me in. Let's sit, let's talk. Understand that this is always in the context of relationship, that it's not a religion, that he sees us in whichever condition we are. And he says, yeah, I can bring some healing. I can be, bring some refinement to that. I can bring some covering to this. And so we have to, instead of what, you know, going back to Revelation, instead of what Laodicea is saying, you know, you say I'm rich and have prospered and I need nothing, we need to run to Jesus and say, I have nothing. Work in my heart and in my life. Because as long as we're holding on to those other things, we're refusing God to work in our lives or refusing the fellowship that he wants with us. So lay down your life before him. Stop and, and evaluate here where he's knocking on the door of your heart and of your life. Allow him in. It's the greatest work possible because he wants that close fellowship and love with us. That's that's the book of Revelation. It has always been a word of encouragement to the church. That's what we need, is to allow him to keep working so that we can be the hands, the feet, and the heart of Jesus to a world that is, in one context, blowing up on fire in anger and hate and absolutely ice cold in love and compassion. This is the context for us to be the church and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Father, we love you. We trust you. Lord, we're not going to be so numb and naive to say that it's not difficult. It's not that we don't know the areas of our lives that you are knocking and the closed doors of fellowship that we have put up. We know and see them. Lord, give us faith, courage, boldness to open those doors to you and to allow you in and whatever yuck and depravity and just grotesque sin you may see, do a work in each and every one of us. Continue to refine us, continue to clothe us that it wouldn't be about our shame but our sanctification. Continue to bring about a spiritual vision so we know who we are in you. 
not by what we have, but by in whom we are walking. And so walk with us, Jesus. Talk with us. Work in our lives. I pray that we would continue to be on fire for you. I pray we continue to be a cooling presence to the world around us. Keep calling us. Calling us up to a higher walk with you. That we would be uniquely distinctive from the world around us with a message of hope, with a message of love, of grace, mercy, and truth, Lord. Move and work in our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said? The Black Shears would love to pray with you and for you. At the end of every service, we always have a prayer team. So if God's stirring, take some time. Don't need to rush out other than that. See you guys next week as we continue our study in Revelation. Well, hey, church, whether you're on campus or online, thanks so much for joining us here this morning. As Pastor Nick was talking about, we do have a prayer team on campus. If that's something you're interested in, just head downstairs in the back corner of the room. That's an option. But maybe you don't feel comfortable talking face-to-face face-to-face with somebody, or you're online and you don't have access to the prayer team here, that's okay because we have a digital prayer team ready and waiting to pray for you. We're going to throw up a text link and a phone number. If you just text the word prayer to 573-679-3760, that text message is going to come to me, and I would love to pray for you, with you, whatever situation the Lord has uh, on your heart, whether that's not so good things, or you just want to celebrate what the Lord is doing. That's an option as well. We always want to be prayerful um, and provide opportunities uh, for our church to be praying. And the great thing about that is that text line is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so you text prayer, and then we'll get a little push notification. Actually, I get on my phone, and I'll be praying for that, and I'll reach out to you uh, and follow up as well. But we're just grateful that you joined us here this morning for church all across the globe, on campus and online. The Calvary community came together. One challenge that I had from Nick's message, let me grab my notes, that I want to leave you with is this. The Lord loves us exactly as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are. And so by saying we love Jesus, what we're saying is we want and we need correcting. And so this week, for us who call ourselves believers, for those um, who, who call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus, when we say we love him, we are, we are inviting him to do a work in our lives, to surgically cut away anything that is not of the Lord. And so this week, go be the hands and feet of Jesus. Allow the Lord to do that, that surgery in your life so that you can impact other people. And we'll see you guys back here next week for another Sunday Live as part of our Calvary community comes across all across the globe and joins together for service. We'll see you guys next week.